0: Blessing us so well. Some really great words we can sing today, and uh, thank God we can sing to some really nice music at the same time. Now, one thing I forgot to mention uh, in our announcements, um, and um, Kath, I'm going to do that now. Uh, Kath just saw me before the start of the service. She sent out an email for uh, roster unavailabilities for this week, so please, if you could um, answer that email and get back to her with your unavailabilities, that will be really helpful for her to go out and generate the rosters. Uh, If you don't answer the roster, the email, you will probably on the roster, then you might find I can't do that week, then you'll have to organise yourself to swap with somebody else. So please check your inbox and uh, go there and um, put down the unavailabilities. That will be really helpful for us. So we want to thank Kath too for doing that job there. It's not an easy job doing those rosters because um, it's hard to coordinate all the different nuances and things that happen. So I do thank Kath for doing that and uh, putting the time and effort in there because it is quite a uh, burdensome task. I know and Laurel used to do it previously. Very, very challenging to get that uh, done properly sometimes. She was very glad to hand that over to Kath to take that burden on. So thank you for that. (coughs) That wasn't good, was it, Dan? Sorry, mate. (coughs) Okay. Uh, today we're going to uh, talk about uh, marriage. It's been obviously the, the hot topic. It's been the big question that's been rolling around uh, Australia. I guess if you hadn't think there was some sort of issue about same-sex marriage in Australia over the last uh, few weeks or months, I'd probably say where have you been living in the last few weeks and months. It's uh, really out there in many, many ways. There's media coverage about it nearly every day whether it's TV, radio, newspapers, it's all there. We were walking back through the Brisbane airport, on Wednesday. We went down to the FECA church conference and we walked through the, um, the departure lounge and here's these massive big billboards in the Qantas lounge. It said, one rule for all. And pictured alongside of that was, uh, was a gay uh, couple there, same-sex couple together, sort of this one rule for all, at, featuring and advertising that. Also, you may have seen on the um, TV the... Uh, coalition for Marriage ads as well, the three mothers expressing their concerns uh, about marriage, uh, same-sex marriage as well. So uh, it's, it's here in Australia, it's uh, all over the place. And we need to make no mistake about this issue. It is not a small change that we are talking about here when we talk about same-sex marriage. It is a major, major change. When we speak about marriage, uh, we are talking about the very fabric and the foundations of family that make up our communities I saw a uh, press conference the other day with Malcolm Turnbull and he was making this comment about families saying exactly the same thing. He said families are the foundation of our communities. They really, really are. So we must see that this question of redefining marriage will have massive implications upon our nation for the future. Uh, These foundational changes, should they go ahead in the marriage definition, may not be seen quickly, but they will be seen. They will be seen. So we need to be really, really sure of that. Um, The question of marriage also hasn't been a recent issue. It's sort of been bubbling around for probably 20 years or so, but maybe in the last 10 years it's gained a lot more momentum and perhaps again the last two or three years it's really become from time to time centre stage as as it has uh, right now. So it's not something that's sort of just come in lately. It's been sort of bubbling around for 20 years or so. Marriage. Uh, This key, pivotal, foundational relationship of family and our communities. Why is it? uh, Why? What is its meaning, or why is its meaning or definition under threat? How should we define marriage? How do we answer those who hold a different view about marriage? And ultimately, what does God, our Creator, say about marriage? To look at some of those questions today, we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to see what God says about marriage first. Then we'll look at what the world will say about marriage and same-sex attraction and how God addresses that and speaks to that. And then we'll look at some of the issues that the pro-gay and lesbian community bring up as reasons for uh, redefining our marriage. And then uh, lastly, we'll look at the Christian response we have to that uh, community of people and the world that would uh, seek to make this definition change of marriage. But first, just let me pray hey, before we, before we jump into that. Uh, Lord, we are very privileged and uh, glad that we can be here together today, Lord. And we are really privileged as well that we have uh, your eternal truth, the scriptures, the Bible, Your word given directly to us. And I ask and pray today, God, as we talk about this topic, we don't want to talk about it lightly or frivolously in any way, shape, or form. Father, we know that there are real people with real feelings and real relationships that are feeling intensely about this, and particularly on the same sex uh, side of the debate. So, Father, today we want to come with humility, we want to come with love, we want to come with respect and with dignity, and Lord, we want to open up very carefully. Uh, the truth of your word and that we pray that God through this your spirit would bring life into our hearts and clarity into our minds and uh, Lord a real feeling of empathy and love for those who would disagree with us Lord today so that we can build bridges into their lives so that we could introduce them to the saviour the gracious compassionate loving God in Jesus Christ so pray now Holy Spirit help us help us in this we ask Give us listening ears, I ask, in soft hearts, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, we will have some uh, questions and answer after this. So, if something pops up in your mind, if you want to jot it down on a, on a bit of paper or lock it away at the back of your mind, uh, we will have an opportunity then we can just um, answer any questions uh, at the uh, end of this talk. So, biblical marriage. Biblical marriage. What does God say about marriage? It's really important to think about this because there are two worldviews that are actually happening as we think about marriage. There is a God-centred worldview where everything in that view revolves around God at the centre. So we see everything about this world with God firmly fixed in the centre and we see his truth emanating out from that and that gives us the grid or the filter that we see everything through in that perspective. There's also a secular or godless worldview as well. Where God is completely removed out of the picture, and then mankind makes up their own ideas about how things should be in this life. Mankind takes God right out of the picture and then begins to think in his own way, this is how that should look, or this is how this should look. That's a godless or a secular worldview as well. So there's two worldviews here. But in the God-centered worldview, we want to see here what the Bible tells us about. When God says this is what marriage is, so if you got your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter two. And some of you thought, bet you he was going to go there first for that one. Some things you just can't hide sometimes, can you? Genesis chapter two, and it tells us there in verse uh, twenty-one. We'll start from there. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed there, as we finish off in verse 25. It really doesn't require too much explaining there when we look at that passage in Genesis. As we think about that, God makes it really, really clear for for us here today when we think about marriage. God puts it down there in a very, very succinct way. God, as our sovereign creator, has created Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And then God puts them together in the very first marriage of human history. That is the first marriage in the Bible. That is the first marriage of all time. That is the first marriage that God has put together. And there we see it. It is one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve, united together uh, under God in covenant with him. There's no ambiguity about that at all. You don't need to go back to the Hebrew original language when that was written. We can see there really clearly that God defines marriage there as one man and one woman coming together together under God. That's the Old Testament. Here's Jesus who's going to talk about marriage also. This is the New Testament. So let's have a look at that in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. Jesus here uh, answering a few questions, particularly from the Pharisees, says this in verse 1, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So there it is from the New Testament as well. Jesus absolutely reaffirming what God has said right at the start of creation of mankind. Reaffirming that marriage from our loving creator is given to us by one man and one woman complementing each other in this unique relationship that God brings together. They are no longer two. They are now joined together as one in this unique and incredible relationship here that we call marriage. Really clear and really succinct, again. And Jesus totally confirms what God has said right from the outset here in the sense of what marriage is. The Christian perspective of marriage is one man and one woman united together under God. And it's the complementary effects of these people equal in substance, as it were, equal before God but created differently, different skills and different abilities and different talents coming together as man and woman in uh, marriage. In Genesis chapter 4, we follow this on and we see here the very foundations of family coming from this married couple. In Genesis chapter 4, 1 and 2, it says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. There's the first family of the Bible. The very first mention of family in the sense of uh, husband and wife and children. That's exactly what God has done. God has designed family for us in that sense. Husband and wife come together and they lovingly raise children in this uh, foundation of community here in the sense of family. Husband and wife complementing each other, bringing different... Skills and talents and abilities and different the ways of doing life to raise a family. And it's here in this foundation where we absolutely find this is the place where children and community can grow and thrive under the relationship that God has created for us through family. So there's no mistake here about what God has done in designing family. There's no real confusion there at all. It's really, really clear. But as I said, there's another worldview. There's another worldview that takes God right out of the picture. And this worldview makes up its own idea of how marriage can look or how families can look. This secular or godless worldview says, contrary to God, that marriage can be between man and man or woman and woman. And we know that today as gay or lesbian or same sex marriage. It's been talked about in the debate here just in the last uh, few years. This secular or godless worldview that removes God out of the picture altogether says it's all right for two men to marry each other. And it's all right for two women to marry each other. We think that this is okay for us. We've worked it out and we think, no, marriage is fine if it's two men or it's two women. This is what we have thought through and we think it's okay. The Bible actually helps us to explain this worldview. The Bible actually helps us to see how people begin to think like this and begin to picture life like this. And we can go into Romans chapter 1 and we can see that there. We'll start in verse 18 and we'll just think our way through this passage here to see how people have arrived at this worldview. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's revealing himself to us here through nature. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie." and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to that of nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The key issue here in the definition of marriage is what is the truth about marriage? We're asking ourselves here this question, what do we believe is true about marriage? This is the key issue here when it comes to this redefining of marriage. And this passage serves us to show us what has happened to the truth for those who take a secular or godless worldview, where God is totally removed out of the picture. In verse 18, ungodliness Or a secular worldview has suppressed the truth. In other words, they are consciously pushing away or holding down the truth from their own minds. Deep down, they probably recognise what the truth is, but they suppress it. They don't allow it to actually come to the forefront of their mind and agree that that is the truth. It flows on a bit further. In verse 21, it tells us that then their thinking, because of the suppression of the truth and pushing it away, their thinking has become futile. And that their minds are now darkened, not allowing the light of understanding to come in and to guide them correctly to what is truth. And this darkened mind spirals down into useless thinking, futile thinking. And then in verse 25, we see the result here that comes from this as we take this spiralling down. At the end there of verse 25, it says this secular or godless worldview with God completely removed from the picture. They exchange the truth about God. And what you could put in there is you could say they exchange the truth about what marriage is because God's clearly revealed to us what marriage is. They exchange that truth about what marriage really is and they now exchange it for a lie. They begin to believe something they've created up in their own mind and then now whatever definition you want to be of marriage is good for me. They've exchanged what God says is the truth now to now bring in their own definition. So now what we have is same-sex marriage and homosexual relationships in a secular worldview, a godless worldview, is considered true and acceptable because of this downward spiral of suppressing the truth And not allowing it to bring light into our minds to give us what the true definition of marriage is. What does God say in that sense about this darkness of our minds and people allowing themselves to be uh, consumed by the passions of homosexuality? It's a really difficult question to talk about in many respects because it's a hard question to answer in the sense of it's not an easy truth to take on board for some people. Leviticus uh, chapter 18, out of the Old Testament, tells us here in the Old Testament what God says there. He says he shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. God very explicitly condemns homosexual activity. For a man to have sex with another man or a woman to have sex with another woman is a total corruption of God's created order. It's an outrage in God's sight. Hard truths to sort of take for some people. Really difficult. And I'm trying to say it as sensitively as I can. What about the New Testament? Because some people say, well, that was the Old Testament. That was a real harsh God in the Old Testament. Maybe the New Testament says something different here. Maybe God's changed or he's softened in his ways or he's just changed the way he thinks about us now. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, again, We see here what uh, God says about that. Verse 9: Oh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible hasn't changed. From Old Testament to New Testament, the Bible remains consistent. In this area, and the Bible consistently condemns homosexual practice. So that is how God explains here the idea of uh, homosexuality and its practice. It's it's a it's a suppression of the truth. It's a darkening of the mind. It's a futile thinking, and it is hard teaching, I know. But I think it's really good that we get that clear in our minds because you've only got to go to Facebook today and look at what these people are saying in the name of Christianity saying hey this is okay, God accepts this thing, God accepts same sex marriage I've seen some really really crazy posts on Facebook like this this is what the Bible actually says about same sex marriage, this is what the Bible actually says about homosexuality so we see that marriage according to God is one man and one woman and then producing children who have a mother and a father complementing each other in this role of raising children. And it's here where God's plan is put into place for a growing a thriving and whole community of people, becoming the very foundation of the communities that we live in, in this uh, world that we have. But we have opposition to this, don't we? And that's what we're experiencing right now. And it's a very vocal opposition at that as well. So I want us to look perhaps just very briefly at some of the uh, questions that they raise uh, up towards us and some of the reasons they give for wanting to redefine marriage. One phrase that I've seen says this, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. Love equals love, doesn't it? Love equals love. You know? if, if you can love each other and get married, why can't we love each other and get married as well in a same-sex relationship? We love each other and we just want to express that love to each other in marriage just like everybody else does. You know, perhaps we would answer like this. Well, look, we don't doubt that you may love each other. We don't doubt that you are probably deeply committed to each other in a same-sex relationship. And some same-sex relationships are more loving and more committed than some heterosexual relationships in this world. So we don't doubt that you don't love your, uh, your partner. But we would say that marriage isn't defined by love alone as the place for its highest expression to be shown. Marriage has other significant foundations that are uh, than just an expression of love. Marriage is essentially tied together here with the place of procreation of family with children, more than just a place of expression of love. You may have come across this one as well. Marriage equality or one rule for all, just like the uh, poster I saw in the airport the other day. Essentially what is being said here is this. If you can marry as a heterosexual couple, why can't we marry as a homosexual couple? Why can't there be one rule for all? And we would answer that obviously to do this we would need to redefine what marriage is and hence we have our postal plebiscite to us uh, today. So we have to ask ourselves in thinking about that. Possibly we could respond like this. So are we to pull apart a definition of a relationship that has served humanity with strength and well-being for thousands of years, to redefine? Are Are we to pull apart and redefine the basis of family and the foundations of community that has stood for generations as the very building blocks of the communities that we live in? Are we to pull that apart? So to redefine and to give marriage equality, we are asking to dismantle this current definition and believe that there will be no change in society at all if we pull apart what has served us for generations, for millennia, in building strong communities. To say, to make this take place, to change this definition, where are we to put cracks into the very fundamentals of family and community? In doing so, we are breaking up the very natural order that God has created for us. And it has kept us together as families, as communities, for generations and for generations? Is that what you're asking us to do, is to pull all those apart? And then it has this flow on effect. Because in that sense, if you have same-sex relationships, two mums or two dads, we then end up with fatherless or motherless children being brought into this world. And in that we take away the, the, the fundamental right of a child to have a mother and a father. Is this really what you want? These are just some of the things that are maybe said. I'm only just touching briefly on this because Peter uh, Hall, my brother, has a lot more on that and he'll come up and share some of those things a, a little bit later on. But they are some of the things that are said to us. And there's some potential flow-on effects too if the same-sex marriage bill is enacted or carried through. Now, what we can't say about these flow-on effects is, yes, 100% certain they will happen. Not 100% certain. But what we can say that every other country that has allowed same-sex marriage to take place, these things have actually followed on in those countries relatively soon after. Freedom of speech has been affected by countries that have allowed same-sex marriage to take place. To express any other view other than gay marriage is shut down or extremely restricted. And in some cases, some people have been taken to court for expressing an alternative view to same-sex marriage. I know of a Sydney guy who put up a Facebook post a while back, detailing his view on same-sex marriage. Nothing offensive in it, in the way he used his language and whatnot, but Facebook deleted his post. Facebook actually deleted the post, and thereby imposing a restriction on the freedom of speech on that person. Freedom of choice will be restricted and changed if uh, same-sex marriage is enacted and allowed to go through uh, through Parliament and make that change. There have been people who have been asked to resign their positions on company boards simply because they hold a different view to the uh, the pro-gay marriage, same-sex marriage view. Uh, some in that lobby have found out that this person supports traditional marriage and then they've raised up their alarms and their concerns and they've actually put pressure on that person and, sh- and that, pe- that person's had to stand down from position on that board. So there's a freedom of choice that gets restricted as well when same-sex marriage is uh, enacted and followed through. Freedom of religion has been another thing that's happened in countries that have uh, allowed this to take place. The Catholic Church only two years ago, I think in Australia, put out a a great brochure called Don't Mess With Marriage, a very sensitively and tastefully put together uh, piece of literature that really just expressed the benefits of marriage. Now, that church actually got charged by the Discrimination Act and taken to court. Now, thankfully, those charges were thrown out and they didn't go to court, but it took quite a while before it got there. So there's a real restriction on the freedom of religion to express here these truths. Another thing that has uh, flowed on into countries that have um, taken on this new definition of marriage, and that has been other countries that have seen a a real flow-on effect of very radical uh, gay-lesbian sex education introduced into schools. And you'd all be well aware of the safe schools that's been sort of floating around um, schools. And it's already in some schools in Victoria. Now, I've only seen snippets of of what they teach in that stuff. And it's scary stuff. It's the sort of stuff that would make your ears curl up when you sort of hear it. It's very, very radical. And that's been a flow-on effect where... So marriage redefinition has taken place, that these things have come on. Now, again, we can't say for 100% certain it will take place, but for the evidence we've seen of every other country that's redefined marriage, this has been what has happened very, very soon after. These are the very, very real potential uh, flow-on effects. And even some in the gay marriage lobby have indicated these things will happen as well in some press conferences. If you want some other good stuff perhaps to find there uh, as resources in thinking about these flow-on effects and thinking about some of these uh, responses as well, uh, I would recommend um, Australian Christian Lobby has some really, really good stuff. If you want to go to their website and click on some of that, there's some really good stuff there. But this is why the postal plebiscite that we have today for same-sex marriage is no small matter facing Australia. This is not just a little issue that will just happen. It's like a little blip in the graph and life will go on as many would try and tell us from the other side of this debate. Just life will go on. Very, very little will change. Uh, not at all. It will be massive implications here should this definition go through. Can I say, as we come into this environment, to come into this, and thankfully it's not here today, but other other uh, arenas or forums, it's a very heated and passionate environment to go into. I'm not sure if you've um, seen some of the uh, Q&A shows on ABC and some of these other ones. It's a very difficult place to be. You've only got to look at some of those shows or sometimes look at some of the news reports or look at other things that have taken place and you can see a real passion of rage and sometimes hatred that is associated with this issue. And unfortunately, these emotions uh, that are sparked in these debates are really coming from both sides as well. They come from both sides. I've seen some people in the name of Christianity say and do some really terrible things towards members of the gay community. Just some horrendous things, the way they've actually approached them or discussed this issue. And vice versa, I've seen some from the gay lobby just with venom and hate and rage, which literally is scary stuff to see that take place from both sides. So how do we as Christians then who support marriage God's way with one man and one woman, how do we respond into this very emotional and passionate arena and environment? How do we go in there and how do we sort of try and have a response or try and speak into this really challenging uh, situation? Firstly, can I say this, that the church hasn't done this well at times. The church has not done this well at times. Sometimes I think we've had an approach as a church, I'm not talking about this church, but the church overall. Sometimes I think the church has had an approach that seems to single out homosexuality as the most grievous and the worst sin of mankind. The church has done that sometimes. And it's terribly, terribly sad that it has done that. It's like we've pushed aside other sins like gossiping or bitterness or stinginess or jealousy, And we make this massive big case out of homosexuality. This hasn't been the right thing to do as a church. And I reckon we need to say sorry to the gay community because we haven't always been balanced in the way we've actually talked about life and talked about the Bible and talked about uh, reconciliation. I think we need to say sorry to the people in the gay community for the way the church has acted in the past Here's our response, though, and not only to gay people, but to all people in our community in this broken, disordered world we live in. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. Now, you might say, that's a throwaway line. We hear that every week. It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Whether someone is gay or whether someone is bitter or whether someone is jealous, it makes no difference. They need to hear about Jesus and they need to hear about the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul gives it for us there. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what is the gospel here that Paul's talking about? He says this is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Everyone includes everyone, whether they're gay or whether they're bitter or whether they're jealous, everyone needs to hear the gospel. This gospel is a message about Jesus who comes to bring us reconciliation and forgiveness for our estranged and our unbroken relationship before God. Jesus comes by his death and his resurrection and brings us the sweetest news we could ever hear and we sung about that this morning. I was dead in my sin, totally cut off from God and now I rise in Christ. That is the message of the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the message of reconciliation and forgiveness that comes from the message of the truth of the gospel. We need to respond with the gospel because also the gospel is also a power for redemption and transformation as well. Jesus in and through the gospel brings power into our lives to be redeemed and transformed from a darkened mind that's corrupted everything in this world, not only our sexuality, but every other attitude in our life as well. The gospel brings transformation and it brings redemption to redeem us back into the people that God has created us to be. The gospel has the unlimited power There is no cap on the power of the gospel. There's no point where the gospel is okay, I can't take you any further now. The gospel has unlimited power to bring us into freedom, no longer captive to the falseness of this world and the falseness of our own hearts. Through the gospel, we can actually show people the love that they are always craving for and looking for it in the wrong places. Through the gospel, we can show people a relationship that they've always wanted. That they can now have in Jesus Christ. And through the gospel, we can introduce them to Jesus Christ, the most caring and compassionate and grace filled Saviour that anybody could ever possibly meet. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. And like Paul, in this passage here, we must never be ashamed of that message. We must never think, I've got to tell them something else. There may be other things you need to say in and around that, but eventually we need to get to the gospel. We need to get to the life-giving and life-saving and the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray like heck that they will receive that and hear that truth. This is the message of hope we take to a broken and confused world. It's an iron furnace sometimes for the same-sex marriage discussion. And we must be grace-filled here with this message of truth. With so much emotion and heated passion, we must carefully use God's wisdom and grace to be lovingly truthful with these people. It's so easy to get caught up in the heat of the debate. And then we can find ourselves so quickly entering into sort of vengeful speech or vengeful thoughts. I know how easy it is for myself. Sometimes I, want to, I read the Facebook posts and it's like, I want to punch that person for saying that. I'm being truthful. It just, it just brings the worst out of me. And all I then see is, actually, I need God's grace. I shouldn't respond like that. I shouldn't think like that. I need God's grace. Now, I think of people like Lyle Shelton, who we see up on the ACL. That guy needs lots of prayer. He goes into a very hostile environment. A very difficult environment. He needs lots of prayer. Our own Pete Hall gets in the newspaper and gets his picture taken there alongside what he's written. Pete needs prayer because he does a bit of work in the media from time to time as well. They're not easy environments to go into. We need to be grace-filled so we don't react in anger or vengefulness or hardness of heart. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us with empathy and respect for those who hold an opposing view to us. We, may, we must pray that God will give us the ability to value them and to love them, even though they might be our supposed enemies in this debate. We shouldn't see them as our enemies, but they may act in that way. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's difficult. We need to see them as people made in the image of God, but yet are blinded by the God of this world, Satan. That's how we need to see not only people of a same-sex attraction, but anybody who's outside of Christ. Because these are real people and they are hurting and they're confused. And they sincerely believe in their cause. And they have real feelings about this debate and they have real relationships with people of the same sex with deep intensity. So we must approach them with empathy and with love and treat them with respect and dignity and value them as people. But having said all that, we must not let the emotions rule the day in our minds. We still need to come and communicate the truth of the gospel to them. Because when we see these ads and these media stuff, it does arouse our emotions for them. And we should feel empathy for them. But it should never be at the expense of the truth of what God says about marriage. So the church needs to be a community here that displays marriages and families that are grounded in the gospel as one of our best possible ways of winning these people to Jesus. I think in some respects, that is the best thing we can do, which will speak loudly into this community, is they can look in on a community of people and say, hey, here are grounded families, mother and father, raising children, centred around Christ and centred around the gospel. That will be a tremendous witness into this community that we live in. I think that will be the greatest thing we can do to, uh, to show them that. We need to have our doors wide open for all people. Our doors should be wide open for all people, including gays. They should be able to freely walk in here without feeling sort of like they're looked down upon. We should be able to embrace people of all sexual choices. Embrace them lovingly and then embrace them to tell them the truth about Christ and to let that truth emanate through our lives as we live out the gospel before them. Friends, our nation stands at a crossroads. It really, really does. It is no small blip in the graph with this same-sex marriage issue. I pray that we will be a church, a people who with love and truth will seek to shine the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, into their lives and they will see that God's created order of one man and one woman raising children is the place where people will flourish and grow in healthy, strong communities. And I pray that we do that with love and empathy and with truth. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you that we can uh, come and uh, open up your word. And thank you today we can come and have this discussion. Uh, Lord, I would ask and pray first that you would forgive us. Lord, you would forgive us. for the way we've treated gays in the past, Lord. Lord, we can be so biased towards these people who are made in your image. God, I pray for any hurt that we may have caused the gay community. I pray, God, you would give us a chance to heal that hurt. God, I pray that you would help us to have a a newfound love that comes from your spirit bringing the truth of the gospel alive in our hearts. And this love would embrace all people in our community. Lord, I pray for any connections that we may have with any of these people in the community. I pray that we are seeking to love these people. And we are seeking, Lord, to uh, find an opportunity where we can share uh, the love of Christ through the truth of the gospel. And Lord, it's our prayer God, it's our prayer that you would save and redeem and restore many, many, many people, Lord, out of the homosexual community. Father, I want to pray for parents here who have homosexual children. Father, I pray that you will help us to gather around them and to encourage and support and to love them. And that, Lord, you'd give them extra grace at this time, must be so, so difficult, Lord, to to work in those environments when families are like that. God, I pray that you give them uh, great hope and they would not ever see, Lord, that this gospel has some sort of cap or limit where it can't work anymore in someone's life. Strengthen those families today, I pray, and help us where we can, Lord, to help them. And pray, God, that you would redeem those ones uh, in those families. Lord, we pray today that you'll give courage to people like uh, Lyle Shelton, Lord, as he stands up, giving great wisdom, Lord, as he goes into these environments. Help him, Lord, I pray. Even for Pete, Lord, Pete Hall, who uh, does interviews from time to time in the local media. We pray for Pete. We pray, God, you'll give him wisdom and discernment and self-control and balance, Lord, and ability, Lord, to uh, connect with these people. Now, uh, Father, today we pray that uh, we will never lose sight of the hope that you've given to us in Christ. And Lord, even if things are to go down the path of same-sex marriage, Lord, that would be a, a, an opportunity for the church to continue to reach out into this world uh, with the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Uh, Father, today we do ask we you to pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we are happy to take some questions. Pete, if you want to come out, you can... Come out and grab a uh, grab a seat. So, if you have some questions, please um, raise your hand. Jan.
1: So, if you're asking if they make a small change now, will that be sort of iterated forever with other small changes? I think that's probably that's usually the way legislation happens. If you, probably the best way to understand it is um, uh, what what we've had in Australia has we have, we've never been a Christian nation, and we've never been oh, I don't even know what you call a Christian nation. Actually, we're a group of people, and there's some Christians in Australia, and there's from various um, points in our history, there's been more Christians than non-Christians or vice versa, um, but Christianity has been the auth- the authoritative framework for moral and ethical decisions. So what's, what's happened is it, it basically presents an absolute, so it's always had an absolute, for example, in marriage, so what the government are doing and what culture is doing, they've basically said, oh, we don't really want... Christianity to be the author of our moral framework any longer. We want to author that ourselves. So that begins a process of continual change, which is what you're referring to. So I think John Howard made a comment early on in the week that what we're witnessing is the de of Christianity as the, the dominant voice of moral and ethical rules and regulations. I think he's spot on. Our euthanasia popped up, um, same-sex marriage, gender fluidity. These are all... Um, uh, attempts to rewrite our understanding of things that were once absolutely decreed by that Judeo Christian moral framework. So I think that's going to happen.
0: Ros? I'll just repeat Ros's the thought. They mentioned in a very difficult work environment where the where the boss is gay, so gets into a discussion and he gets very uh, passionate and very um, emotional in many senses of the word. And then Ros is sort of asking, "How do I sort of react in that in that situation?" Do you want to speak to that, Pete? We well, want me to. <laughs> it's pretty complex. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, but it's, look, it's. For those who didn't come last week to GV, um, what I was saying was um, that we we're in a secular world. They're not listening to scripture. We, can't just have, we just can't read them Genesis 2 or say, listen, here's what the Bible says, so you, you need to just take that. Uh, they're not listening. So our job is to, I think, is to do what Paul did on Mars Hill, is to reinterpret the, the good truths of Christianity in a way that, where they see the good sense of it and from that, um, they, they'll be drawn... I think we'll be drawn to the truths of God. I think shouting out um, Christians are an abomination... Uh, homosexuals are an abomination or, you know, putting stuff just at them like that. I think that's... This is, it's not going to be received. It'll be received as, as offensively. Um, and it, and even though it's true, as the Bible says... Um, so I think the, 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 the approach I'd take on something like that would be to say, look... Look, um, I mean, it's very complex. It all depends on your relationship with the person. There's a number of things I try to say to the person. Fixing, fixing that is not the solution. So one, one person asked me recently, I've got a, a young boy who's, who's suicidal, and if, if we don't fix that, he'll commit suicide. I'm thinking, well, this is a complete conflation. Um, depression, suicidal thoughts are very complex. That's a mental health issue. It's not to be solved by government legislation. If you're thinking the government, by changing their laws, is going to make your life better, you're, you're looking in the wrong place. They never make it better. They only make it worse. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a greater issue than just, if I just fix this one thing. And, and as Christians, I think we need to understand that the, this is a human brokenness issue, and we're all broken. I said this last week, we're all broken. Your particular brokenness happens to be um, attraction to to, um, same gender. Uh, My brokenness could be any of a whole heap of things. So the answer to that is not to indulge in the brokenness or to to pursue the brokenness. It's to find the the true source of of healing, and that's in Christ. Now, the the reality is, and again, it it takes... um, relationship is to try to reveal to them their brokenness and point that out in a loving way. And it doesn't mean telling them they a sin sinner, it's saying, look look at the metrics around homosexual relationships. Um, the suicidal metrics, the health metrics, they're they're all they're all shocking actually. And and as a culture we, we haven't done a great job at addressing that. But but they are endemic in those lifestyles. It's not even having a go at it, gathered, it's just looking at the health statistics in those communities. So there's brokenness that comes out of that. So as Christians we can just at least understand that and try to help them in that sense. When you say love them, I think, you know, what do you mean by loving them? It's I don't think loving would be to say, yeah, actually I get your point, I think it's all right. okay, if you feel that way that's fine. I don't think it would be loving someone. I don't think it would be loving someone to point them in a direction that, that um, will, will, will give them more brokenness. It's funny. I just picked up that today. Eternity magazine, which we we'll got at the front there, it's got five responses from a range of Christian leaders. One of them was a Baptist minister in Melbourne, and he was for same-sex marriage. One of the difficulties is in trying to talk about this. Not even we haven't even got our own act together as Christians. We've got a diversity of views within the church. And he's based his presupposition of endorsement on the basis that, that these people are... ..people who are same-sex attracted, that's just how they are. Um, what right have we got to deny who they are? So, I mean, in a loving way, I'd probably say, yeah, but aren't you understanding that, that, that also what humans are, they are broken? The third chapter of Genesis tells us we're all broken, we're all subject to sinfulness... So that that overrides any other framework you want to put across a person's life in a way. Now, how do you do that without, you know, making someone uncomfortable? Well, you do it in, in a loving way, and I, I usually do it by saying, "I'm I'm, I'm more broken than you." But I don't think your saying "sex attraction" is 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 the the worst of all things. I said, "I'm probably I'm probably a lot worse than you," and that's why I needed Jesus. So, you know, be a bit humble about it. We're all broken. Your particular brokenness is this. Okay. You know, I, think, I think there's a few ideas, but it's probably got to come from relationship, actually, Ros, and, and, and finding things that, that you can connect with that person. But it's always trying to reveal the goodness of God's order and how it, how it brings order to our world.
0: It's, um, it's a challenging one, um, Ros. I mean, and Pete's exactly right. I mean, we're not talking to Christians and let's pull the Bible in, let's have a chat about the Bible because they just won't listen to that at all. So it's, it's is things like Peter said. I mean, what's our society been built on? You might talk about these commonality of, of Christian principles that is, that's been built on over the generations and served us well. And, and then, yeah, you take those other things Pete said let's, um, to put them together. And it's a hard environment to go into as well. But uh, yeah, pray. Pray lots and, and love lots. I did see Nev's then, then Rob after that.
2: Mars Hill. <coughs> Paul does start with the God as Creator. And so if we don't start with God as Creator, we have no argument.
3: Hmm.
2: So Paul takes the the gospel, he doesn't talk about sound homosexual sort of being an abomination and so forth. That's possible. and the other point the right. But if we don't start with God's Creator therefore we have a purpose and we are created for a purpose and we are a uh, our being and our whole Uh, lives and the purpose because there is an eternity, and therefore, we introduce the gospel, which is the power of God to save. Um, Our endeavour is to bring people to salvation, Um, and ultimately, that they recognise that they have their purpose in life, there's meaning in life, there's consequences in life. And if we don't actually do that, then we have no gospel. Jesus died because we're sinners, we're (laughs) as bad as they are before we were saved. Um, We should be showing now. That uh, there is a change, I guess, in the church. That we should be in evidence to them of something different. But unfortunately, again, as that chapter does, the church generally is not an example. Yeah. And in other areas, the program last night, where a United Church minister who was living with her girlfriend, which is bisexual, because of, she was mocking things. She, she went back to the um, no-fault divorce clause. That was a bigger, a bigger disruption, a disruption to marriage that we have in, in this situation, because we went from a few divorces, ugly, messy divorces sometimes, to easy divorce. Yep. Um, abortion went from having a child, an abortion for rape or something else, to 160,000 children a year being um, aborted. So yep. the consequences are there, obviously. Yeah. Um,
0: You're right. Now that, that's the bigger discussion we eventually want to get people to is, is, is that gospel discussions. So it takes. Um, um, different ways to get there.
1: I just, just—it's
0: worth talking about that.
1: And, and, and as Christians, we agree with that—that that God may. But the, the, the reality is, they're not listening to that. You 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 have got to have a discussion. You've got to start a discussion based on can, can we agree on something to be, to build a discussion. You now, I, I think you'd end it, or you you try to land somewhere there in the discussion. But so I'm think I think this is this is the one that I think is is having some degree of traction. You start and say, "Look, cultures throughout time immemorial have recognised marriage as intuitively the way that families, societies have um, produced cohesion and stability, and, and that's that's also a Christian view." Okay, so so we believe that marriage should be uh, should remain as it is for 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 these reasons that, that children are best raised by the biological connection of, of mum and dad. And societies recognise that, and that's why governments are in on the marriage game. I mean, they don't endorse any other human relationship. Our, I said in the paper, our tennis buddies or golf partners or whatever. They don't, they don't have anything to do with that, but they, they specifically have a, a connection to marriages because of that reason. So, if you can get some traction on that discussion, and, and then I would make the next connection I'd say, and whether you're a Christian or a person of faith or not, um, Christianity may, m- reinforces the same view. You may not agree with some things of Christianity, but some things in the Christian message are good and have a, an inherent public good, and this one does. So you, you may then build a bridge and you're saying, OK, the, the Bible's not all bad. What else does the Bible say? And then you could go into what you are saying before, Neville, about other aspects of, of the Bible. But I think the key is to, is to build at least a bridge where people can say, OK, the Bible's not this stupid book I once thought. It does have credible ideas. There, there is good common sense in the Bible, whether I'm a person of faith or not. And, and the reality is, and, I, and another comment you could make along those same lines, the same one John Howard made, is we have as a culture, whether you like it or not, whether you want to dismantle it or not, we have um, driven our culture along the lines of, of um, the Judeo-Christian framework. I mean, we don't murder. We don't steal. all right? We, we don't um, pinch someone else's property. We don't um, violently assault people because there's laws against those. Where do those laws come from? They came from um, Moses. So our, our whole culture's been based on that. So, so I would say, if you're going to remove all of that, and euthanasia is the next one, if you're going to remove all that, what are you going to replace it with? You can have a discussion. People I had a discussion. Yesterday morning, I went to something called the Death Cafe, which was a discussion about death and dying. It was essentially about euthanasia. And I said, once you remove... The absolutes of Christianity, because we all agree that that's what we were once based on. Once you move that, you then start moving these fences all over the place, and we could end up, as um, Jan pointed out, it could progress into something that's really weird. Now, I'll give you, I'll give you an example and this. Probably illustrates best, above anything, euthanasia in Belgium started off 12, 15 years ago. Just for really old, uh, sick people who are on death's door, can we help them die? Now the law is: if you're a child and you want to be euthanised, you can. So I bet you the law makers 15 years ago didn't envisage that, but people have reiterated those laws now to the point where children can have a say whether they are euthanised or not. And I'm thinking that's just crazy, but that's where it ends up.
0: Just before we go to Robert, just um, to uh, is a. Good thought there of um, Peace Brought up but this Judeo Christian principle that have held society and culture together. I saw this picture, um, and it was this picture of humanity was held together by all these various ropes. They were connected again, these ropes, and these ropes were we don't murder, we don't steal, you know, we don't um, abort, all those types of things, and we believe in marriage as one man and one woman. And this sort of idea of relative truth has crept into society over the last probably generation or so. And it's no longer those truths objective, but they become subjective and they become relative to to you and where you are. So it's like we've been cutting those ropes one by one. That's been connecting us as a community, as a society. So again, we have the marriage, and it's it's another rope we begin to cut. And they're no no longer the things that are holding us together, these truths we believe, because truth is now sort of all up for grabs. Uh, Rob?
3: Yeah, probably sort of the question's been answered in a way, but this is what I was going to say, is that we have those out there who don't have our worldview; that they're not Christians. We have others out there who say they are Christians, but they're not holding to the gospel as we know. So really there's almost two debates going on. Yeah. And how we deal with those people who are saying they're Christians In one sense, it's not good being in the public space. Mm. It's like we're having a debate with ourselves on what's what's right and what's true. I suppose what I'm coming to is that we really need to work at our (coughs) apology like Paul was doing on Mars Hill. We really need a bit like what you were saying then, sort of a starting point to understand where we start, to understand how it leads to the gospel. Yep. Um, and, and some simple sort of helps because a lot of people just feel overwhelmed. It is a complex in some ways, but this won't be the only debate. Mm. There'll be other things that come. Yep. I'll be talking about
1: cutting the prayers out of Parliament next. Well, the, the best way is to, is to read some good articles. I mean, and you can, you can cut through. I mean, I made the comment that they uh, said love equals love. Well, that's just not true. I love Mars bars, valiant charges, my yeah. wife and my kids. You know, we, we all... <coughs> Those loves are ostensibly different. So, okay, well, that's not right. Um, and and there's there's a an outcome from heterosexual relationships that's different to homosexual relationships. Two blokes don't jump into bed one night and then the next morning wake up and wonder w- whether they're pregnant or not. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So straight away, because like, oh, yeah, I can see what you're... so you can actually say things that make people think, yeah, okay, that's that's that makes sense. And because it, and it, their arguments generally are, revolve around. Uh, rights, and you've got it, why can't we, and about discrimination. So all you really need is talk about how, no, not really, it's, it's just, it's self-defining in a sense. Um, but I, I think, I'm, I'm actually quite an optimist about this discussion, I don't really care about, I, mean, I care where it ends up, but ultimately what it is, is culture is unravelling on so many fronts now that we've got a tremendous opportunity to actually talk about biblical truth. So never before has there been a discussion in our culture about biblical truth like this. So we're talking about, it, our culture is talking about marriage, which, which God tells us is a model of Jesus and the church. Gee, what a great opportunity. You know, it, it, we, they're talking about something that is, that is so central to what we think and believe as Christians. Well, gee, it's, we've got a real opportunity handed to us. I don't really care about the vitriol, and the, but there's people that can talk about it. They, think, they might ask you, what why are Christians, so, what's such a big deal about marriage? Man, you've got an opportunity to talk about the gospel, if, if you can talk through that discussion in that way. So I'm not concerned at all. I think it's a great opportunity, and we get to talk about some really core issues for, for us as Christians. Joe?
4: Yeah.
0: I think it's pretty hard to give one-line answers back to those things. That you, I know what you're saying. They give you a one-liner and you give one-liner.
4: I read
1: somewhere that Australians can't take any more than two their fours in a row. <laughs> Because it's too complicated. It's it, they've
3: lost
4: it. I, I,
1: I think there are... I mean, the love equals love thing. What, what do you mean? You, it, all loves are the same? No, you don't mean that. Oh, no, actually, I don't mean that. that I've had those... OK, I see what you're saying. No, they're not. But, but to, so, surely the love between um, two men would be the same At a romantic is the same as well. No, it's not. I, I said, you, you guys don't wake up in the morning and wonder whether you've had a kid or not. We, we asked that question. There's probably a two-thirds chance you might. So so there's a big difference, actually. And, and straight away, that stops that discussion in that sense. And so we'll, let's really talk about... You're talking about what the definition of marriage is. And it's defined by government for this reason. And, th- and that's a simple discussion. I think it can, but it is a little bit more complicated. Than right, yeah. a one-liner, yeah. Qantas is, you know, they're chucking a bit of money at this and they're signed... I'm, I went through a couple of airports recently there's, there's posters and everywhere. And you sit there and think, OK we've got to talk about that and even the, the guys I didn't know I was being put up against another person's comment on Friday in the paper but he, he, if you he went through that it's very easy just to put a one sentence, sentence statement to him in a loving way and just say no actually that's not that so it's, but it just requires a bit of reading and, and we should be reading and thinking about these things because there's opportunity for the gospel happy to help, I could send you some stuff if you want if anyone's interested, I could send you a sheet of different responses, if you'd like. Yeah, can you stand as much as to the sure. sure. I won't charge much either. Yeah, and, and you want, what you need to do, you want to be a little bit practised at it because sometimes these things <clears> pop up out of the blue. I see John's nodding his head. You know, you will be in the smoko room and someone will bring it up and how hey, am I going to respond to that? But So you, you, just, you just need to be a little bit practised at it. Make sure you understand it yourself and know where to pop it in.
0: Doesn't always go to script. Okay. Uh, John and Mandy. Uh, that's true, Todd, because um, one of the ladies at uh, one of my schools um, came and
4: asked me, she knows I'm a chaplain and so she knew what she was going to get. Um, but she respects me greatly so there was never any, any issue. But what was interesting and somewhat amusing was that we just got finished um, talking openly and um, about any heavy or anything, and then a massive ice storm just went oof, right out the store. And, and I said, well Rachel, this is what we talk about. Can you imagine what we're going to talk about next? And it was a loving way to actually finish that there was no um, there was no sense of uh, condemnation. And I think Todd's right is that, that the church has not been loving um, and to people. And when you're not loving to the people, then you don't have the opportunity. They, they say that empty tummies have no ears. Well, it's the same. People won't receive truth if you're coming from um, a high horse mentality or anything, you lot of people
0: first. Mm That doesn't mean you can agree with them It doesn't mean you should just let them do anything, but I think that's special. Getting the starting point, that's good, John. Mandy, you you going to... How would you respond to um, the
2: fact that you believe what you believe, and we we believe
4: what we believe, and no one's really hurting each other,
1: so what's it really matter? It's... it's that's really easy. Yes, yes, they are hurting other people. There are more people involved in marriages than just two people. There's kids and there's a social signal to society on what's best for kids. Now, I think this is a, this is one that I think easily is answered. Um, when people say that, oh, we're just going to change a few little laws, there's a whole heap of laws we've got to change. And what they're going to do, they're going to send the message to everybody that this is um, a, vo- a valid expression of marriage. And so you're going to send the message to kids and to culture generally that marriage actually doesn't mean much at all now. It just means whatever whoever loves each other, that's fine. Well, you're you're downgrading marriage, for starters. It's already been assaulted since the 70s and the sexual revolution. It's already come under great pressure. So I I think, if if anything, we need to reverse that and elevate marriage. So I, I I would talk about that. I think it does... Um, it does a lot of harm to other people because there's more than just the two people involved in marriage and the society um, generally that that it's it's messaging to as well. So I think that's a bit of a throwaway line. It's not going to affect anyone. No, it's going to affect a lot of people. It's going to affect the way my children see marriage in the future. And, And the other thing it does do, and goes back to Jan's point, you'll have to then teach in schools the new laws... So you will then promote to children the idea that this is a valid expression of family and married love. That, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So there's a whole generation, they're going to hear this new um, message. So, so no, I think that's a real easy one to say. No, it affects more than two people in that sense.
0: Probably a good one to hold there as well. We'll come to you in a second, Caleb. Um, we're not there to win the argument, if you know what I mean. I mean, because you're right, Manny. Because you know they say that, and we might go back and say, yes, actually it will affect children. And they say, no, it won't, because I've got studies to show you that you no, know, same-sex parenting. But we won't. We're not there to win the argument. We're actually there just to uphold what the truth is in a loving way. So we might still get to the end of the discussion, and they may still disagree, but that's all right. But we need to keep putting up uh, up there what is the truth. So eventually, those hopefully those thoughts do set into their mind and, and trigger off um, other changes within them. Caleb.
1: Absolutely, but, but he is asking us to be salt and light. Yeah. So so, uh, I agree with that. That God's won, and how does he win? He wins it through his church and through people proclaiming the truth, and that's what salt and light is all about, in a way. But you've got to do it in a loving way, and you don't. And it's not, oh, we're going to lose this battle, oh, the whole world's going to fall down. No, no, the battle's been won. Jesus has done it, but he's he's now working through his church to bring about the transformation of culture, society, and the proclamation of his message of redemption through Christ. So it's just. We just bomb into that battle, that's all.
0: Well... It's a great discussion to have uh, and, and to hear how they sort of process it and analyse it and some of those things you can use with others who are not Christians as well because, as Pete said, you can't bring out you know the, the Bible and say, look, let's have a look at this. There sort of needs to be other entry points in there. Everyone?
3: Speak up. speak up because they respect their parents. she's saying
0: that they do love each other as couples yeah like how, what, what, what she's that... sure do
1: you want to make a comment yeah, I, I reckon this is a, this is a critical issue it's not this is not bigoted or hateful at all but just just talking about rights we we must talk about the rights of children here so so it's about competing rights well kids rights trump um, our romantic right to be recognised every day, in my book. So when we talk about surrogacy and sperm donation, for example, the way it will work will be that the, the child will be denied access to their biological mum or dad. So so we look at ourselves as a culture. Forget even the Christian perspective on it. As a culture, do we think that's a good thing? It's not a good thing. No one would. No one would put the proposition that um, it's appropriate as a culture to to create commodities out of babies. And, I mean, I, I, I've I had, um, you know, I've tried to engage with some people who are on the yes case here, and I, I, you know, from what I understand, it's it's almost like a, a commodity now. They've commoditised production of children through commercial surrogacy and egg donation in some countries. You cannot tell me that that is a good thing for those kids. I mean, my my sister, um, you know, ha, had a lot of challenges from the fact that she was adopted in, in, in some ways, and... and what we need to do is, is understand that, that in some ways this is a fundamental denial by government law. Uh, some kids, through tragedy, for, through challenges, are adopted. And I think as a church we should gather around and help parents who have engaged in that process and helping those kids. I think that's fantastic. And we should applaud that. And, but in a sense, to government, by government, endorse the disenfranchisement of kids by that method is not Right. And I think that's a really easy case to make. And I'm not just doing it to defeat the argument. I think I think for the for the health and life of those kids, they'll they'll be denied access to, at the very least, a mum and a dad. And then uh, by law, their biological one of their biological mums and dad. That's not right. And I think we've got a, we've got a, an opportunity there to, to intervene in that case. Okay, they, they say that yeah, but uh, they do say, but it's very limited. Commercial surrogacy is prohibited and, and there's been three class actions now by the children of sperm donors wanting to know who their dads were and it's completely spooked the sperm donation community, whatever that is. <laughs> but I think there's been a, a fair drop-off now in the amount of guys that are prepared to, to do what they do and, and, and donate in that sense because everyone's realising those kids would like, if possible, to know who their birth parents were. And and when it's when it's constructed that way by the government, that's a challenge. If it happens by a tragedy and a kid, um, you know, loses access to his parents, I think it's you know there are means of fostering and adoption, etc. That work. Fine. church should celebrate that, and help those parents because that's the right approach to give kids a mum and a dad. That's what they need. But not to do it by law or to deny. I think that's wrong. There's a phrase called biological orphans, and that's what these children
2: end up being. Yeah, biological. Yeah. By design. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yep. Maybe just one last one from uh, Neville. Yep.
2: My, my opinion is but I've, I've been doing street work for <coughs> 40 years. I'm sorry, I don't find the world not interested in the model. I find that when they say, that's your opinion, that's my opinion, I say, no, it's not my opinion. The God who made us, made us for a reason, made us for a purpose, and I find that is it's powerful. I find that is. um I, I don't think we should be scared of bringing the not the condemnation, but the, the truth of the scripture to, to bear in all these situations because God has made it for a purpose. Let's yep. get in our head. We are a creative people. If we want to drop creation, yeah, go to the world end because we've got no arguments ourselves. But the world do care what God says. They don't care what the war says, but they care what God says. Even if they. They say they don't believe it because they are suppressing the truth in our righteousness. They're the ball
3: under. We pump the ball up. It's the gospel that pumps the ball up to make it actually obvious. It's the gospel of the Spirit. Which is the it's the gospel that the Spirit takes hold
2: of and makes it powerful in this world to
3: change lives. Yep. I'm sorry, my experience has not
2: been that the world doesn't want to hear the Bible. Yep. It wants to actually know what's
0: God. Yeah. It might accept it. Yeah, sure. We're not saying um, don't use the Bible. We actually, we, we, we speak the truth of the Bible out through our um, interactions and engagements. So we're not saying don't declare it at all and speak it out. Yeah, speak it out. That's yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying if you get an opportunity to talk about um, the Bible out there, level, go for it. But I'm saying in, in, the, in the secular discussion that we're having now, that, that just does not go anywhere. You, I couldn't... If I put something in the paper and I said, oh, this is, I believe this because of my Christian background for example, on that thing I put on Friday, that they wouldn't have printed that. They're not interested in hearing... Because I'll say, oh, that's your Christian view. We're not having a Christian discussion. We're having a secular discussion. We're in a secular country. I've had that said to me that many times I So, OK, so the way I've responded, and I think, it, I think it's the way... Well, certainly it gets a bridge into it to discuss... What, the Bible says as well. Because I also now say, and I put that together, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. My Christian convictions are are what um, motivate that. So So I can can speak about it then. But but essentially, in this public sphere, you cannot it does not um, they're not listening to and they basically say, we are a secular country, we don't engage with that now. So, okay, if you don't, you're telling me you're not engaging, okay, I'll I'll, I'll I'll talk about it in another way. I'm not going to mention verse and and, and uh, chapter, chapter um, but it's the same thing, and then it's a bridge to that. So uh, if you get the opportunity, I think, yeah, go for it. It doesn't mean don't talk about the Bible, it means if you get the chance, it's just at the moment they're not offering us the chance, yes, that's all.
0: Okay, we might wrap it up there, guys. It's, it's been uh, pretty healthy and good. Now, Pete's very happy to keep talking about this too if you want to catch up over a cup of tea. So thank you for uh, hanging in there with us for an extended long play version of uh, Sunday morning service. Uh, May God bless you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And let's keep praying um, for this. Thanks.